Welcome to Swedish Junior Hockey Podcast. Jacob Dahlin, your host. Today, we have an ex-NHLer that is uh, in his second career. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Andy Sutton. Hi, Jacob. Nice to, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Scandlux, your home for Scandinavian luxury products for the U.S. market. You can find us at scandlux.com. You know, you've been around and you got a unique background because you didn't go straight from, you know, uh, major juniors into the pros, but you had a little bit of a different background coming up, right? Yeah, I, I was I was never drafted. Uh, yeah. I didn't make my midget team, so I cut for yeah. midget. I played um, tier two junior B in Gananoque, Ontario. So I was the, I think the youngest player in the league, of fifteen and sixteen, playing with guys with mustaches and jobs and and baby mama drama, and that was a really unique experience for me. And then uh, I was then ended up getting a pretty fortunate opportunity to go to go play at St. Michael's College which at the time was the the preeminent place to go if you wanted to try to get a scholarship. And that was my inclination. You know, I didn't get drafted to major junior, um, to be honest with you. At that time, I was I was a very late bloomer and uh, probably not even close to ready for, for either uh, major junior or U.S. college for that matter. But uh, non- nonetheless, I got a I got a scholarship to Michigan Tech. And that's really where things kind of, you know, blossomed for me. It gave me four years to work on my craft and and uh, and also get a world class engineering education. So it was I checked a, a lot of boxes. And, you know, even there, I. You know, I, I didn't get drafted to the NHL at 18, despite being, you know, six foot six and 240 pound defenseman. I was available in the draft and and overlooked and then, uh, you know, didn't really do much of anything through the first three seasons. I actually got a scholarship as a forward, got moved to defense my sophomore year. That took a little time on the Olympic ice, as you could imagine, to figure out and and then really, you know, the the decision was, um, you know, I have had so many of these forks in the road throughout my life. And and I had an, an opportunity to go take an internship with the U.S. Navy the summer before my senior year. And I turned it down um, to, to stay on campus and, and work on campus and, and just really get focused for the season. I honestly, in my mind, I thought, well, this might be my last kick at the can. So, I'll, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give this my full attention and. And, uh, you know, at the end of that season, I I won Defensive Player of the Year and was an All-American and had 14 NHL teams offer me the maximum signing uh, bonus to come and play in the NHL. And and um, the rest is kind of uh, history as far as, you know, making it there and then staying staying for as long as I did as a, as a second is another is another story entirely. So did you actually graduate? And then or so you actually yeah. went through and, and, and walked and then you went into to the pros. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. So go back a little bit. Like, so, because let me see here. I got elite prospects up here. So it does say you're, you're born in London, Ontario. Is that actually true? Or is that just. Yeah, it actually is true. I'm born in London, Ontario. My family grew up predominantly in the Burlington and Oakville area. Uh, okay. I played in Burlington minor hockey was grew up a, an avid Leaf fan. My dad uh, fortunately had had some partial season tickets, so I got a chance to experience the uh, Maple Leafs as a child, which definitely led to my love of the game. And uh, my my dad's you know a super passionate hockey fan and always has been. So I think we've we've always shared that in common the love the love of uh, of this great game. Yeah, was he a hockey guy? I mean, other than a fan, did he play? 
he he did he you know he because of circumstances as a child he didn't really get a chance to have the same level of access that i did and uh but but he played men's league like three days a week up until a week before he had double knee replacement surgery in his <laughs> 60s so i mean this is a man who uh who definitely left it all out there for the for the love of the game yeah it's funny though i mean it's it's uh i mean i grew up in a hockey town and everybody played as some form or fashion and and um and uh it's it's I was able to look at my dad's hockey pictures up till he was 15. And it was like, when I was growing up, I didn't even know he played. And um, he never watched me play because he was always working. But, you know, that's kind of how it is. So uh, here's kind of the, the the two things I wanted to talk about today is um, be, one, because of the position you're in now, because you're you're retired and have a, a, a post pro career in the same game that you're in, which is awesome. And how that, you know, how you're perfectly set up for that. But, you know, as I was uh, out here working the other day and I was thinking about this coming up and I thought, and I don't know where I heard it, but um, the, the cost of the game. So my son is playing in Sweden now uh, playing juniors over there. And I think the fees are like, uh, for the full season is 400 bucks. Right. And, uh, and, and the versus if he was going to play, he's an 05. So he could have played, still played another year of U 18s here. And if he would have played in, uh, let's say in Detroit and what that, or I'm in North Carolina. So if you want to play AAA here, you have to travel everywhere. And a weekend is going to be 1500 bucks just in, in, uh, hotel and food and either gas and rental cars or, or, or airfare. Right. So a season can easily be, you know, 20 grand us, um, easily. And that doesn't, you know, there's, there's, you can go North and South of that. So I wanted to talk about kind of the, the cost of hockey and how that is impacting the future of the game. But I also wanted to get mm. your get your get your views on on you know we're coming out of we're not too too far out of the World Juniors and you're you know you played with international players and we'll talk about a couple of of, of our common denominators here in a second so but uh but 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 let's start off uh, so so you grew up in London but you didn't so you, like you said you didn't you didn't take a a, a, a regular path um, why was that? I mean, to be honest with you, it's uh, t- timing, you know, the, the, you know, the fact that, you know, this is in the late eighties, early nineties, you know, sort of that time when I should have been ready for OHL draft and then ultimately, you know, ready, ready for NHL draft in like 82, 83 or whatever that was. I mean, I, I wasn't, I wasn't there, sorry, 92, 93. I wasn't really there as, as a, as a young athlete, I needed time to develop. You know, I was very, I was tall. I had a, like a seven inch growth spurt in like the 12, 11th or 12th grade, something like that. And then it took me a few years to kept my body to catch up, um, you know, and, and really I had a lot to learn in going, you know, going away to Michigan tech for the four years really bought me the time to focus on development. You know, you get a lot of ice time. I'm, I'm a big guy, you know, and, and so chasing little guys around Olympic ice made definitely made me a better skater. It made me learn more about angles, maybe learn more about, you know, really how to play defense in that, in that, uh, in that vein, I guess. And, and, and from there, you know, I, I, um, you know, just kept trudging on and working on my body, working on my mind, working on my game. And, and, uh, thankfully, 
you know, everything, everything kind of worked my senior, my senior year. And I had a lot of opportunity coming out of that as an, obviously, as you can imagine, an undrafted, you know, all American, you know, defensive player of the year at six foot six and 245 pounds in, in the early nineties. I mean, I can imagine, you know, that's the Chris Pronger, Darian Hatcher era. So that was, that was probably a pretty easy sell for my agent at the time. I can imagine. Yeah. So you actually, uh, so how old were you when you went in the college? Were you 18? I was 18. Yeah. And, uh, and before that, so you said you played, so the, these, these aren't any, they're around anymore, but the Met JAHL and the EOJBHL, these are some abbreviations that, you know, so what, what level was that? I mean, is that junior A or was it back then? Yeah. So I think they, back then, like when I went and played for St. Michael's college in Toronto and, and uh, you know, I, I went to the school, it was a Catholic school. I still live with a billet family there. And um, is that at the that buzz- time, is that the buzzers buzzers. Yeah. That's before they converted to junior a. So they're, they're an OHL team now, but they, they had a, they had a junior B at like a tier two. They used to be called tier two junior a back then. Uh, but really it was a junior, was junior B league. And um Played against like the Wexford Raiders, which was another like really famous team at the time, and there were a whole bunch, whole host of teams in Southern Ontario that were in that vein, and and uh, it spent spent the year there, and, and I think I signed my commitment letter with Michigan Tech, and you know I think it was in October or something like that, so I signed relatively early uh, into that season, and and was ex- excited to focus on on that next uh, next phase of my life. Yeah, were you uh, so did you so you went into engineering? Were you did you already? I mean, were you school was important and and uh, I mean, did you go in right away kind of deciding that this is a big deal? School I mean, I'm an, I'm an over, I'm, over, I'm an overachiever by uh, by nature, to be honest. And I actually started out in biology because I you know I really thought the only job that I wanted to do was to be a family doctor. And that that remained true throughout the course of my career. But then I I came to find in my second during my second year and I was always quite good at math. That I could that I could go to medical school with an engineering degree, so I thought, well, that sounds like a better idea. So I converted to environmental engineering. I've, I've been an outdoor enthusiast my whole life, hunting, fishing, and camping, and that type of stuff. So it made sense to try to you know work somewhere where I could have an impact on the environment. As as I said, very amb- ambitious to a fault, but um, you know, I ended up being a world class education. I, I learned how to learn, and I think that's that's those are value sets that I carry with me how to how to how to manage being a student athlete is something that I definitely carried with me um you know playing division one hockey and studying engineering is is a daunting is a daunting achievement and uh you know that taught me a lot of great values there and and um you know that that level the work ethic and you know the the cerebral nature with with which I've been fortunate enough to be able to learn how to apply to things is definitely something that I apply to business today and it's it's def- it definitely helps um helps with with the you know progressing and evolving my business on a, on a daily basis when when did you know or when did you start believing hey man this this may actually I may actually become a pro in the in the NHL it, it really didn't happen until my senior year so I mean I'm senior 22 year. years old yeah and I tell people that all the time if you'd asked me my junior year so a year prior like Andy what do you what do you see for yourself I might have I might have said to you like you know I might maybe I'll I'll dip my toes and see if I can play in the you know East Coast League or maybe I'll try to find somewhere in Europe I can play for a few years see how that goes but I I, I knew that I wanted to have a you know more stability so 
I think the, you know, I would have always come back to the educational component and probably would have gone to medical school at that time. But, you know, life has a, life has a funny sense of humor. You know, once I got started down the path um, of the NHL, it was, it kind of uh, hockey chose me. I didn't choose it. That's like the thing. And, you know, they pay you well, obviously. And um, you know, it, it's, it stretched out over 16 years after that. So, I mean, I look to look back on it now. It's like a, almost like, it feels like a different lifetime. Yeah. So since this is kind of, you know, this podcast has become more than just a Swedish junior hockey podcast, but since it does have the Swedish component in there, you know, you've played 14, 16 years in the pros, um, famous or, or maybe not famous, but, but memorable Swedes that you played with throughout your career, who comes to your mind? Well, I mean, there, there were there were many, you know, the the, the most notable uh, early on in my career um, definitely was Nicholas Havlid. And, you know, Nicholas was my partner in Atlanta. We were deep partners and I like I like to think we were really good deep partners. You know, we were the top pair there and played against the other team's top lines. I think we played together for three pretty much three full seasons. Um, and we were the, we were the go-to guys that were on the ice when really, when we needed a goal or needed to stop a goal from going in five on threes, five on fours, you know, critical moments. So Nick, Nikki and I shared a lot of those moments and had a, had a very, uh, unspoken, uh, way of, way of communicating where I think we were, we were really well matched for one another. Um, we had, uh, I'm trying to think who else was there at that time. Uh, Andreas Carlson, as you mentioned, your 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 good friend uh, was was on that team. The first year I was there, we didn't, you know, he was. I I got there in January, and you know, we got beat out. You know, we didn't make the playoffs, so we were done in early April. So I really only spent like three three months with him uh, at that point, and then I don't think he was back with the team in the fall. Um, but then, you know, the the next most notable for me, and I'll really never for, never forget what it was like to. Uh, to play with and against Daniel Alfredson, but you know, he, he uh, was the captain when I got traded to Ottawa, my defense partner there for the entire time I was in Ottawa was uh, Eric Carlson. So, I mean, to get a chance to go there and, and, and be the, be the guy standing beside Eric Carlson in retrospect of what he's done in his career and getting a chance to play with, I, I think the best, the best leader in hockey I ever played with in, in Daniel Alfredson was, was uh, was really meaningful and incredible, and I, I know I'm leaving a lot of Swedes off the list, but you know I said this to you and uh, before we went live is uh, you know the the Swedes are always impressed me so much with the how strong of mind that they they are, uh, the work ethic, the uh, you know how tough they are. I remember I remember Marcus Ragnarsson when I was in San Jose, and this was my rookie year, and he this happened to me later. I shattered my finger and it came in sideways and I didn't bat an eye at it, but he, he came in and one of his fingers was pointing the, the wrong direction. And, you know, he looked like he was just asking for a cup of coffee and they, you know, reset, reset the thing and he was back out in the game. And, uh, you know, I just, I re just remember that across the board with the Swedes. I mean, they're, they were always, uh, had an incredible work ethic, you know, first guys in the gym, first guys on the ice, last guys off, you know, just led, led by example, um, all the way around. So hopefully that's still true today, but definitely it seems, seems like the, Swedish people share a lot of the same core values as Canadian people just relative to, you know, sort of a blue collar mentality and, and, you know, work playing and doing things with integrity and, and with meaning and honor and, and all the things that, uh, that, that are sort of imperative core values. Yeah. Have you ever had a opportunity to go over there? I know you didn't go play over there. I know some did like Kopitar and these guys, uh, Hedberg that we mentioned earlier went back and played in Sweden. Uh, I think Chara was playing there during the during the lockout year too. But 
have you ever been over there now in your in your I, i've sadly i sadly still haven't been um you know I, i'm actually forgetting my good friend andreas lilia was one of my one of my good buddies uh in anaheim yep. um They'll they'll keep coming to me. And you mentioned Johan Hedberg. Hedy and I were were super tight. We played in the minors a little bit together and played played in Atlanta, obviously together. And um, I think about Johan. Johan and we used to Bob Hartley used to skate the the hell out of us. And uh, I can remember he he we'd do suicides of a, a thing he called the uh, the hell he, I can't even remember what he called them, but um, we had to do these often. And and Hedy Hedy could beat a couple of players on our team in speed. I mean he he could do it in less time than a couple of the players. I mean he was just such a specimen as far as like his his physique and his work ethic and his level of fitness. And he was always the guy at the end of practice taking you know taking all the hundred mile an hour one timers at the top of the circle and. I mean, I just uh, I just remember all of that so well. But uh, I I really would love to go over at some point. I've become I've become good friends with Peter Sibner, and we're you know we're affiliated yep. with Elite Prospects. We do yep. some stuff with with Elite Prospects, and uh, there's a natural tie-in. I think we share a lot of the same values they do with regards to growing the game and 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 that type of thing. So I, at some point, hopefully, we can uh, we can find a way to to get over to uh, Scandinavia together. Yep. Yep. Well, let, let's talk about that subject about about Sweden versus U.S. in terms of like the cultures and and maybe Canada too, in terms of the problem with, you know, it's 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 an amazing sport. It it kind of, um, you know, where's it going? As a the, the the scary part here is that it's, you know, when we say hockey's for everybody, and it isn't really for everybody. It is it it is everybody ought to be able to love it, but going to an NHL game is expensive, right? Um, heck, even subscribing to Bally Sports down here in the Carolinas uh, isn't cheap. Um, and if you play, um, you know, I probably could have bought another house instead of paying for my son's um, youth hockey career. Um and and so on, but but it's an expensive sport. And what's your thoughts about that versus how you grew up? You know, it's kind of careering, at, careening out of control almost. Yeah, and then look, my my dad. Uh, you know, we were single income family. You know, he's he was a locksmith until he was you know about seventy years old. I mean, he 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 worked his ass off to provide for us and and still toted me around wherever I needed to go to play and. You know that the, the costs were less then. There, you know, I obviously work in the business now with Verbero, and and the, I, I'm well aware of the costs. We work predominantly with teams and associations. Our focus is on all things custom. So, yep, I, I look at it, and I and I talk to a lot of people in it. Parents, I talk to hockey program directors, team managers. I talk to the kids. I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm as up to speed as on this as anyone because it's the landscape that that Verbero plays in, and. All I can do is is work to create programs that support and insulate hockey associations. So we yeah. we do some really incredible things. We call it our team rewards program, but it's essentially ways to offset costs. And for example, like in the, we're the only person that I, a company that I know of that does this. But uh, you know, we we do a jersey fundraiser. So if you order your you know custom jerseys and socks with us, we we allow the organization to run a jersey fundraiser, and we we give back the delta between cost of goods and and the retail price uh, back to the program. So we put hundred we put hundreds of thousands of dollars back in the program's back pockets. And if people if people really trust us to build a really a business around their you know let's say minor hockey program. 
we can offset those costs significantly. And if you look at it this way, right? Let's say there's let's say there's 500 kids in an association, so 500 families, right? So now you, if you imagine that each each family is responsible for selling five replica jerseys, right? And then if they're getting back, you know. $50 a jersey, let's just say for frame of reference, which is entirely possible. Let's say it's tackle twill. So now you're you now you're at $250 a kid times uh you know times 500 families, and that money goes directly back into the pocket of the associations to offset the costs. I mean, it's uh these are the types of things we do. We have a coach care program, we have our own commodities, tape laces, wax that we that we give at different thresholds of purchasing. So we're really like heavily partnership focused. Um, perfect example too is sticks, right? So you know, the top tier equivalent stick, you know, for Bauer True CCM Warriors, all over 400 bucks now. Ours is available all the time at 249. This is for senior shaft. Yep. If you're a team that, that buys custom from us, you get our stock sticks at 159. And we'll do a custom graphic for you for sticks at 159, where you can have essentially any team or association graphic and at the same price, team player name on there, player number. We do four order windows. So it's just another value add to really offset the family's costs. And it goes on and on. There's, there's all kinds of cool stuff that we have when you partner with us, uh, with Verbero to, to, to allow us to create um, programs around the business to business interaction that we have to really offset the costs that have, that have really have gone, gone out of control. Yeah. And I, I think that it's, um, and it's not just equipment. It's not a, it's not just travel time, but, but then the, the arms race of, you know, skill coaches and these type of things. And I'm, I'm a little bit concerned. I mean, it is what it is and it, the, the, the nature's going to take its course. And, and uh, you know, if you really want to grow the game, you're going to have to make it more available and more, more affordable. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, there's a large age group between four years old and eight, and U18. And, and locally here in North Carolina, it's, it's, it's a challenge, right? Because, you you can we've had the fortune of of working through like um um i forget what the program through the hurricanes here which was which was great um, um shane willis has been kind of spearheading that with with youth for a long time to get new players in right and then having rec programs that that and and i mean my son played in hand-me-downs till he was probably 13 14 um uh, and everybody you know, once the new coolest thing, but, um, we in a youth organization was always trying to keep it affordable as much as we could and utilizing ice time in a smarter way. So, uh, applaud you guys for doing that. So, uh, well, and, and, and yeah. this is a fundamental, sorry, sorry to talk over you, Jacob. This is a fundamental problem. And it's, it's rampant in our country, whether you're talking about you know the, the the food that's available, the drugs that are built, whatever it is. I mean, this this whole like supply demand situation. If you think about the average you know young athlete, they're in they're in a traditional school model from whatever eight till three. They get home, so the earliest you can probably get them on the ice is five, and they really should be in bed by eight o'clock if you're doing things right. So you've got three hours of ice effectively to manage all of these kids and a relative lack of uh, available space to, to have them there. So then it becomes, you know, that, that the people that own the, the, the supply can essentially charge whatever they want to charge. And that's built into the program. And subsequently, you know, the, the businesses that surround that and all the things that you need and the costs just keep mounting, you know, so, you know, the, and it's all built, it's all built backwards, quite frankly, like if you were going to build it from the start, 
well, you'd you you have you'd have the space. You'd partner with a with a com- with a company like uh, like Verbero that has a lot of value add upside. You'd offer homeschool opportunity because then the kids can touch the ice, you know, during the day when it's sitting vented in most places. So there there really is a lot of stuff that you can do uh, if it was built from scratch, um, you know. But again, there there are a couple of groups in the U.S. that are buying up all the facilities, and and the costs are not changing. They're not they're not going to change. They're probably only going to go up. So you know, I, I'm mindful of this, and I can only contribute where where we can, you know, and I really am passionate, obviously, as you can tell about Verbero making a difference in this, uh, in this regard. How did, so let's talk about Verbero because I think it's interesting. How did you, you know, so when you, when you left as a pro, um, cause you could have went into coaching, right? Yeah. What? I mean, you're, you're saying that like that, like that's a great choice. I mean, I, 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 well, I just, I just come out of a, you know, 16 year career with tremendous volatility. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I, I wasn't, I, I was also, I'm also like educated and I have, asp- I have aspirations to use my brain in, in, in different ways, you know, and, and I, uh, so really truthfully, I tried all kinds of things. I, I worked in the, I worked in the, you know, product, you know, IP licensing space, product development space. Um, you know, I helped out with a lot of really cool brands and did some, you know, did some brand development and, and marketing related work in that, in that space. And, you know, life has a funny sense of humor. And I, I then ended up going and working as president of a multi-brand hockey company. So I really got to understand, you know, the retail side of things, the e-commerce side of things, um, you know, really direct to consumer sales. I, I owned a nutritional supplement company and a, I owned a fishing apparel company and uh, I, I, did, I did a whole bunch of different stuff. And, um, you know, I, I, I like to think of it as, you know, that I, that I was really able to, to amass a world-class business education. And I was fortunate to work with some really incredible people who taught me a lot of great stuff. And then lo and behold, uh, you know, I got an opportunity to acquire the Barbero brand. And, and really, you know, I, I obviously had been in the game my whole life on, on many sides now at this point, you know, the business side added to my, my playing career. And, you know, at that time I got a chance to really hear what a lot, a lot of the pain points were. And my, my base nature is to, is to analyze these things and, and, and problem solve. I mean, that's sort of where my engineering background really, you know, helps me a lot. And I, and I was really able to look at it like, like, like really like a, like a math problem and then work backwards. So, you know, we, we created all kinds of proprietary software and really the main rub was in, in the transparency of the, of the process, right. And like people weren't able to see where their product was in process, you know, what, you know, it wasn't arriving on time. It was wrong. Customer communication was poor. Uh, even the, even the items themselves, like great disparity across the board relative to like what quality looks like. Well, as you can see behind me, I mean, I've worn a lot of different jerseys, thankfully over the course of my life. So quality wasn't an issue. And I've got great manufacturing partners that we uh, developed, you know, programs around. We have an online team store feature that we can turn on and off. We do the, we do the Jersey fundraisers that I, talked about i mean we host we'll host just about anything in a dedicated team store so from that standpoint it was really all about partnerships and you know i I wanted to make sure that verbero was known for our ability to really provide ongoing value beyond just delivering a commoditized product and that's why all these programs are rounded out to to really surround the partners that we choose to bring on board um, with with opportunities to insulate the business with with uh, ways to monetize the program 
and also offset the costs for the families that are that are involved, um, while also providing value to the team managers and the people that are unpaid in these programs to take load to take their load off, uh, take some uh, significant load off of their shoulders to give them their time back. Because that's the other thing that I found in a lot of these RFPs. No, nobody's evaluating the cost of their time. Nobody's evaluating the cost of, of parental frustration. Nobody's evaluating the value uh, uh, that 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 what it was, would be meaningful for a parent to be able to offset the cost by realizing benefits of a, of a Jersey fundraiser. Because then if it's a family affair uh, and you live it, so if it's a family affair and now you're like, shoot, like we need to go figure out how we can sell 15 of these jerseys, 20 of these jerseys to families, friends, neighbors, whatever it is. I mean, it's, it all goes back and, and we run it as a competition, which makes it super fun. So the families like that are first, second and third prize, they get, they get Verbero products, they get sticks, they get gloves, they get pants, they get a, they get a team association apparel. We, we build out a really, really fun way to, uh, to, to manage this and, and make it a, make it a competition. And it's, it's really gone well for us, you know, from a account acquisition and retention standpoint. Well, uh, talk about the quality aspects. Cause, Cause I think that it, there's a, you know, how much does it differ, right? The big brands and and uh, and especially, you know, what are the myths and what are the truths about a stick, for example, and where it's made and how much difference is it between, you know, a CCM FT5 versus a CCM FT6 and the ability to mark it up for another 50 bucks from one season to another and the difference between a true versus a CCM versus a Bauer versus a Verbera. Well, I mean, you, you've hit the nail on the head, right? So like the analogy that I like to give all, all the time, and we have an amazing skate. We have the only true one piece carbon fiber skate on the market. Um, so if you look at, you know, let's say the model's broken, right? Because the, 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 the main, the main companies that you mentioned, they're all like highly retail focused, Right. The only way that they survive is by forcing minimum buys purchases onto the retailers. Right. What's the only way that I can force you to buy something? Well, it's if I it's if I push out something that's that's new. It doesn't even have to be better. It can have a different paint job. It can be a different line that is identical with a different aesthetic. So in that regard, like they've already duped, they've already duped to the customer, the main customer. And then those people's job is to go out and, and force feed that to the, to the clientele that, that still focus on retail as a, as an environment. You, you, it, it, you can tell when you go say, look at a skate, skate waterfall of, of one of these brands and look at, you know, how many different skates are, are there from $200 to $1,200 and how much they all look identical. Yep. So if you really look at the difference between the $200 retail skate and say the $1,200 retail skate, it might be 50 or $60 at the manufacturing level. So you tell me why does a customer need to pay $1,000 for something that costs the brand 50 or 60 bucks? It doesn't make any sense. So for us, like we're a best, we're a best in class product company. Uh, I've already mentioned to you, like how, how we, how we bring savings back and then even the stick, right? So you, the sticks are always a hot button and I'll put our stick up against any of the competitor top tier equivalents, right? So they're over 400 bucks. Now we're, we're full-time at 249. Well, if you're a team that buys with us, you get access to our sticks at 159. So just another value add beyond the Jersey fundraiser program and coach care program and some of the other things we do, but the sticks, the sticks are essentially all identical. I mean, you can say what you're going to coat it with this, you know, boron or anything else you're, 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 what you're buying is marketing. And then on top of that, they don't communicate with the, the, the core. They've, they've, they've turned their backs on grassroots hockey. 
they, 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 they don't sell to retailers that don't buy beyond a certain threshold. So they've say, essentially said to grassroots hockey, you're not important enough. We're just going to focus on the big dealers. Um, they, they did that. And then they also compete with the dealers by selling direct on bauer.com. So, I mean, they want their cake and eat it too. And all they're trying to do is save their fledgling business because the model, it doesn't work, you know, and we've proven that selling direct is the, is the model. Like we build relationships, we build partnerships, and then we work to insulate those partnerships with with real value add um, it to to include you know customers customer service that's beyond reproach you know where they just you can't even get a get on a phone call with anybody from these other brands and they push it through these distributors the distributors can't even get an answer about about a product that shows up late it shows up wrong there's nothing you can do about it you know that's different from us we we can tell you down to the stitch where your jersey is in production and, and we're we also set up automations to make sure it arrives on time and it's and that, and that it arrives accurately so what's next uh in this i know, I know that we just caught off the press what was it uh, yesterday that the usa hockey is gonna mandate uh, uh neck guards for u18 and below here in in the u.s but what's what's next in 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 hockey products and what's next in in uh in in for for verbero well for for verbero directly you know we're we're um we try not to blow with the wind and we try to be real steadfast with what we do and and we know that you know always people are going to need uniforms with us they're going to have a lot of different options and opportunities around those uniforms and a lot of ways to build a business with us outside of that, you know, we're going to, we're going to continue to offer the equipment that we sell and we're going to, we're going to massively undercut everybody else with, with as good or better quality products as their top tier items. And you know what we're, I say to everybody all the time, we're an equipment manufacturer that focuses on all things custom. And that's, that's essentially who we are. There's nobody else in the space that plays in the same sandbox as us. And there's certainly nobody that that cares about the uh, you know the things that that we that we deem important you know identity allowing you to customize and really really carve out you know a, a unique a unique uh, space for yourself your team your association your yourself as an individual be you know express express yourself you know wear something different it doesn't always have to be hey do you want two stripes or three stripes like we can we do anything to that the customer wants to do relative to, you know, how open they are to, to making a statement. So have fun with, have fun with it. Don't get, don't get overcharged, you know, have a partner that actually wants to be a partner not just, you know, provide something to you and go away until you're supposedly going to order it again the following year. So it's, you know, the, this is where we're going. Um, I think hockey is in a good place in general. You know, I think the, the game is fast. Um, I think the game is safer than when I played, which is a good thing. I have a son that's coming up in it now. Um, um, and then, you know, I, I hope, I hope in general, we can see less, less, uh, catastrophic injury. I mean, I, I, I don't, uh, I, I, I don't like that we're reactive and overreactive to things like, you know, the neck guard conversation maybe should have been there all along. You know, I remember Richard Zegnick, Zednik got cut during my career and, and, you know, Clint Malarchuk before that. I mean, it's, it's, ha it happens, it's happened. And, and I don't know why we have to wait until somebody perishes to mandate something like this. You know, why, why can't we be more proactive? So hopefully that continues to be the case in hockey, that we're just more proactive and also, you know, hopefully figuring out strategies to allow more people to access the game and play the great game. Because there's just there's just nothing quite like, you know, gliding on that blade on that blade and, you know, sharing that space with your teammates and feeling the wind in your face and 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 you know collaborating in in in, so in the way that hockey players do so i mean it's it's a it's definitely the i think the best game on on the planet and and hopefully we can continue to make it accessible for people 
Uh, are we going to see Berbero in the Swedish uh, uh, Swedish juniors and the Swedish uh, players anytime soon? You know, you know, I, I'm all I'm all about uh, finding the right partner, right? So I haven't I have not found a Swedish partner yet. So you know, if anyone's watching and knows anyone that would want to look at Verbero for Sweden, it's something I'm definitely interested in looking at. Um, I've I've talked to Peter uh, Sibner about it a little bit, you know, in Elite Prospects, and I, I don't I don't know that it's it's it fits in their in their business model per se. But, um, you know, I, I know I know that Verbero will translate to people because we just we just we just understand what's up. And the beautiful part about it is it's it's such a great business because we have such a focus on custom items. So, you know, we own, we own the factory uh, relationships and we're able to essentially ship our products worldwide so we can plug in our business in a way that's very turnkey. Um, and if somebody has the relationships uh to to allow you know teams and associations to come in and build with us then then that business would be very successful and and it's obviously rounded out with the equipment that we have as well so i mean it's it's um it's definitely something that's of interest and and on the table well you know it's sad that the the one of the most famous brands are no longer around that was actually not too far mm -hmm. away grown you know 45 minutes from my house which was yofa and um mm -hmm. and so iconic and um, maybe not, well, I mean, at the time, not necessarily the, 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 the best, uh, protection, but it became, I mean, so many pros were wear, wearing Yofa because of the, 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 protective gear was the best on the market. And then it got, um, you know, bought up and, and, and the game, I mean, the, the brand is gone. Uh, so yeah, but even 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 in that, Jacob, like you see the the cannibalistic nature with which you know these other brands operate. It's it's yeah. really just all about cannibalism. It's not, and they don't even adopt the technologies. You know, like even even when when you know Easton was acquired and and just basically purchased for the baseball division, and then you essentially squash some of the best hockey products on the market. Quite frankly, at the time, they just they're just done. It's just squashed. It's not it's not about anything else because they already they already occupy you know such a such a prevalent uh, footprint. At, and retail and they don't want any competition right so but the best part about it is in case they haven't noticed like people have never been more com comfortable buying things directly right amazon has changed the game people are very happy to sit in their underwear and order order gear from verbero and all the while they keep you know fighting to stay in their space and suppress retail we'll we'll keep working directly with teams and associations and i'm very happy to play in a different sandbox as i as i mentioned yeah, what's the so what's the easiest way for those who don't know about Verbero? I mean, it's still uh, growing. So, what's the best way to to find the products um, and where they can see the 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 development and and what's out there? Yeah, for sure. Well, Verbero.com is the is the gateway. We're in the process of uh, of. of version 3.0 on our website it should launch in the next couple of weeks it's going to be really really a lot more um intuitive and and uh really about the customer journey and, and you know we're we're always evolving so it's it's a it's really a rebirth website too you know it's 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 really been uh it's really been focused on on our uh who we are today and and really making sure that we that we um you know guide the customer journey through our website because we are an e-commerce company and I I say this all the time like I want to be the most e-commerce e-commerce hockey company so verbero.com is the place if anybody has any questions at all ever about you know opening opening up in Sweden about team uniforms anything like that team team at verbero.com is the lifeline uh, we have, we have, as I mentioned, a really robust customer service team that, that oversees that email 
um, and and we can get you any information you need. You know, we're the only company I know of that does gives up the cuff space on gloves. We have low minimums. We, like I said, we we really just work to be great partners and and, and constantly and consistently bring value to those partnerships. So there, there's you, you just have to get start make the decision to get started, and I can guarantee you're going to be happier than anything you're using now. Well, that's awesome. Well, we're going to round out. We always uh, have this kind of segment. Two more things. One is uh, you met yourself at 17. I know you're my age now, so it's a few years ago, right? Uh, and uh, But you met yourself at 17. What, uh, what advice would you give yourself at 17? Things you know now that you didn't know back then? Well, you know, I... I... I think the 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 emphasis is um you know it's funny when I talk to young people they they think hard work is something that they're the only ones that do right and and that's not the case hard hard work is the common denominator so you can't talk about it it can't be something that you that you think is like makes you unique if you want to make it anywhere or do anything in your life hard work has to be the common denominator the second piece the thing that I would say to myself is try is try, have have faith if you're working hard and and you're listening and you're open to learning, then then just have just have faith in your journey and trust the people around you to help guide you. Trust your coaches, you know, tr listen to your parents, um, and ha just have faith. And then all in everything you do, just work hard and have faith, and try and try to learn and try to grow and try to evolve on a daily basis. That's really like all any of us can do. Awesome, awesome, great advice. Um, last thing, we have a partnership uh, for you that are listening to this podcast before. We have a partnership, which we're trying to do our part with, you know, our main goal is to ed educate and inform. Uh, started with educate and inform about Swedish junior hockey, and and uh, it, we've branched out in so many ways. But TargetAid.com is a fundraising platform that, that we partner with. Uh, and one of the segments on there, we have a presence on TargetAid.com. And uh, they just did a partnership with Eurogordon, which is one of the top teams in Sweden and help them raise, you know, I think they're up to 1.6 million Swedish crowns, which is about, you know, significant for, for organizations uh, there, but it's about content, right? How can we help provide some content for a youth sport organization or not a youth sport organization, but the segment is the team in your heart. So Klubben i mitt hjärta is the is is it so for andy sutton what is the team in your heart or the closest close team closest to your heart you've been you've been with a lot of organizations yeah it's a, it's a crazy one right you can't say you can't say team verbero <laughs> no i know you know you know what the so here I'll I'll give you sort of the story and then I'll give you the the answer and I'll give you the chronology. So like uh, growing up, I was a huge Leaf fan. My dad's a, still a rabid Leaf fan, right? Well, over the course of my career, I realized that they're the biggest bunch of prima donnas on the planet, right? So every time I'd go into Toronto, like I developed a disdain for the Maple Leafs, right? So now I'm kind of agnostic because I've played for everybody. You know, I don't. I've been out for a decade now. I don't know that many guys anymore on, you know, on on any of the teams. So ironic, ironically. I'm I'm now sort of a Leaf fan again because it's the thing that kind of unifies me and my father. So it gives us a chance to have, you know, have that to talk about and have that in common. Uh, that is awesome. And and for the right reason. Um, and I think that we all have that. I mean, that's the common denominator with when you talk to people about, yes, it's this game with this with this black thing that slides on ice, but but it's really about the emotions, right? It's about the emotions that you have that can be with a teammate. It can be 
with yourself of trying to compete, but also uh, the emotions of being, <laughs> I'm thinking about my dad who can't watch a hockey game because he just gets so mad. And part of it is because he's too busy working at he's 75 um, and, and, and still working, but we're 77 now. But, uh, but <laughs> we have these conversations of what did you go to the game? And he's like, no, I just, I just can't. I get so mad. And uh, I, so then I don't go, but, but it's emotional. And I think that's great. And um, uh, so when I, when I ask that question to people, it's, it's really uh, people smile and they, what, it, what goes back to people's question is really, yes, this is, this is my team. And I've been playing for this one, this one, this one, but this is really my team, which is, uh, which is awesome. So we're going to have uh, Toronto Maple Leafs uh, is going to be named under your team of your heart. We'll see what kind of emotions that drives uh, brings to other people. Andy, thanks for coming on, talking about your journey, talking about the journey that you're in and where you're going. And uh, it's been fun having you on. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, Jacob.